You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux st Marie, ontario for its support the game sports show is heard on spotify apple amazon podbean and podtail podcast platform as well as the game you can make the game a part of your homepage on your mobile device by simply clicking the link and pasting it to your homepage. also you can follow the game sports show on facebook and instagram which is tagged at the Game Sports Show. Now that you're settled in, let's get into another edition of TGSS. Booyah, and it's time for the Game Sports Show. It is your host, David McCaig Jr., bringing you another special edition upload powered by the Game Entertainment Media, Jim for short, and sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Getting to our special edition co-host here for tonight's upload, former professional hockey player of over 1,000 games and hockey analyst for Jim. Known to be a speed demon on the ice, his trademark clap bomb from the top of the circle, and he's also known as the Bruce Lee on skates, as we've heard on previous <laughs> editions. The one and only Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, pal? It's going good, eh? You're just not letting go of that Bruce Lee comment, are you? No, I kind of like it. I'm going to use it for a couple editions, and then I can't get rid of that clap bomb one, too, because you still no. freaking do that in men's leagues. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm uh, happy to be back and uh, looking forward uh, to the guests we have tonight. It's uh, making me feel a little closer to home right now. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. And I'm certainly excited as well. And now getting to our special edition guest. He is a former fourth, fourth round pick, 112th overall to the Calgary Flames in 2003. NHL injury draft played 324 games for the Peterborough Peets in the OHL. He played two NHL games for the Boston Bruins in the National Hockey League, another 680 professional hockey league games uh, between the East Coast Hockey League, AHL, and the Dell, totaling just under 400 points total in his professional career. He is a U18 Canadian gold medalist, one-time OHL champion, and also one-time Dell champion, known as a true leader, hardworking forward who drove the net hard and also didn't mind getting involved in the rough stuff here and there when needed time to time. He was a captain in both the OHL and AHL. Oh, I must add this guest was also and is the assistant coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Away for it. That is the hometown of both Jem and the Game Sports Show. I must say it again. Assistant coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, Jamie Tardiff. Jamie, thanks for coming on the show here tonight and joining myself and Brooksy. Hey, thank you very much for having me, guys. And I, and I might add that that intro for Brooksy was pretty much bang on. I only played <laughs> I've only played with Brooksy from what, maybe half a year, first year pro, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but uh, speed Demon and Clappers from Hash Marks Down. That was the Brooksy special. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It literally still does that. He wears his red pants out on the ice in men's league, Jay. I'm telling you right now, his red, his red pants, his white helmet out there. I don't know what kind of gloves he wears. I forget because I'm too busy taking the puck away from him. I don't see the gloves yeah. anymore. <laughs> but he still, still does that clap bomb from the, from the circle. And the, he misses the net, though, a good amount of times now. Yeah, I'm sure high and wide. <laughs> Well, the new sticks, the new sticks are just too whippy for me. That's all. Oh, okay. That's what it is. (laughs) Now, I want to take a different approach to kind of our post opener, we like to call it here, and like towards the beginning of the show. And I'm I'm kind of going to start in a similar way that we're going to end it, actually, with a fun bonus question, if you will. And what I want to ask you is, what was or is your favorite number to play with and chose as a player, and why? Ooh, okay. For me, I'll be completely honest. That's probably a very easy answer. So, 25. All the way up. I, and in Grand Rapids, I switched back and forth. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that later as well uh, with the return of Darren McCarty, who I gave up my number for. I was 25. Uh, but then in, in Providence, I switched to number 49. Um, and only because my uh, the year prior, my son was born. He was born April 9th. So, 4-9. And that's kind of where that came from. And I played with that for, I guess, about uh, six years after he was born. See, that's a good answer. See, I can't be the 40. Yeah, he stole my number. Hey, that's oh, the number that's, I wore all through the It Europe. was. It was. <laughs> I, yeah, I do remember that. But yeah, we haven't yeah, played together, so I, I never had to buy no. it off to you. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Seriously, you, you would have respected your elders. I know. Absolutely, I would have. 
<laughs> See, I forgot that was your number 49. Brooksy, why did you wear 49 then? I don't have a good story like that. I wish I did. Uh, when I went over to Europe, uh, 26 was uh, retired. Mm. So um, I was like, you know what? What number have I not seen much of in Europe? And I just kind of went with uh, 49. Like I wore number nine as a kid and... Uh, you know, I just put the four in front and I'm like, ah, this looks good. And uh, I went with it and stuck with it. Uh, as that's also attached with your dancing skills for your celebration. <laughs> show the goals in Europe, too. <laughs> oh, but but I will add to that, though, that the reason for the number switch was that at my first year in, in Providence, I had such a just a disappointing year for myself that I, I just needed to change. So it, that's obviously with the disappointing season comes changes. And, and that's what I decided to do. And it just so happens to be that, uh, like I said, my son was born uh, that previous season. See, that's so. a great answer. See, that's a great, I'm glad I started yes. that question because that's a great way to start it off. Yeah. You know, we had that answer, then I throw another little chirp to Brooksy. You know what, Brooksy, I've been throwing some chirps here for no reason. Yeah, on yeah, this. I know. Usually it's, okay. I, it's unnecessary. So I'm going to make a necessary saucer pass over you to get started with our first topic. Well, you know, I guess I'll just talk about, you know, kind of our connection that I have with Jamie. You know, uh, we're both uh, from the Niagara region and uh, uh, we used to play uh, in our summer hockey league together. We played a bit there and uh, in all the, you know, conditioning camps that you have. And then I was fortunate enough to play with him in his first year pro. And, uh, you know what I mean? It uh, It's just been great to be uh able to be able to play with a guy that's from your home area and kind of watch his career. Cause I'm a little bit older, just a little bit, not a lot, but uh, <laughs> it's been great to be able to, you know, follow guys from your hometown and then eventually end up playing with them. See, you know, what? Uh, the one thing that I wanted to really jump into uh, while we transition this over to you, Jamie was kind of any kind of tales about Brooksy. I like when guests have those connections with Brooks. I know uh, Trevor Gillies has said a lot of things. Jeremy Blonsky said a few things along with Evan McGrath, you know, uh, some of them know that you're familiar with as well. You know, there, there's there's obviously connection uh, with certain amount of teammates, and obviously you and Brooks are good friends. Was there one thing that you remember in, in terms of playing with Brooksy, speaking of this first topic that we have? Well, I will say, like I said, we're both from Niagara, and to be honest, like Brooksy mentioned, he is quite a, a just a little bit older than him. So <laughs> coming to Niagara, I, I do remember him vaguely, um, like I said, and if we did skate together, there's only one skate that I can think of, and Brooksy, correct me if I'm wrong, was those bag skates in Niagara Falls at Masterson, oh, yeah. is that right, that he used to put yeah. on? And, oh, yeah. And, and that was probably where we crossed paths. Now I was probably, like I said, I was quite, quite younger and I probably went out there, kept my head down and just tried to work as hard as I could. So didn't even know who's on the ice, but uh, you know what I'm going to, uh, I do have one story of Brooks and I had this in the chamber and I even gave Brooks a heads up. I'm going to be chirping him. You know, I wish it was really good. I'm pumping it up. It's probably not that funny, but more of a trip to Brooks. I remember, like we said, 2006, I'm a, I did the whole trickle down effect. Detroit training camp as a free agent down to Grand Rapids. When we got down to Grand Rapids, it was after one day in training camp and Brooks was like, hey, uh, hey, kid, hey, Tards, uh, you want to come help me move into my apartment? I said, yeah, you know what? He's like, oh, it won't take long. It's super easy and whatever. So, okay, Brooks, you know what? Not a problem. I'm a rookie. I'll be the nice guy. We know you from back home. So we go to Brooks's apartment. I forget where it was called. River Oaks by the, uh, by the airport in Grand Rapids. We show up, and then sure enough, we're waiting there for this. And what rolls around the corner? A 48 uh, truck comes wheeling around the corner. I said, Brooks, you said an hour. So we go through this. We unload this whole truck. And he had a girlfriend at the time. She's kind of helping in and out. And we just, me and Brooks, do this whole truck. And then the last piece, Brooks, if you remember, you had this 75-inch TV. And it's not it's not the skinny ones you have now oh it's no like it's like a thousand pounds back. it is and of course i think brooks you lived on the second floor oh no and, and we're carrying this thing i'm like the last thing i want to do is drop this huge tv back then it was probably five or six thousand dollars the first flat screen that came out i don't know but brooks. and then and then and then so so we go through this process i'm sweating buckets it took about five six hours whatever it might be and hey, Brooksy was grateful. He was thanking. He was like, "Hey, kid, I owe you. I, I owe you dinner. I owe you something." Well, Brooksy, I'm still waiting for that dinner, by the way. <laughs> but that was a good five hours of my day. And you know what? Yeah. He, he not even a cold beer to finish it off. Neither. Granted, he just moved in his apartment, but that was probably truly the only. And you know how it is, because I want to say that year was I not? I think I was just called up. 
Uh, I think I called up. I got sent down from there to Toledo. And then, so Brooksy didn't have the opportunity to buy me a beer or dinner. But uh, and I got called back up later that year after Christmas and was able to uh, to stay for two, three months to finish out the year. Oh, you know what? That is a funny story. That was funny. Especially the no but, beer part. Like, that's unnecessary. You got to. Yeah, that, I thought. You know, maybe on the. Exact. Maybe on the way, pick up a quick six pack. I'm not sure. Yeah. Hey, this this young kid's yeah. helped me move, but but back then I'm not gonna lie, I could have used to shed a couple pounds, so I I like to sweat. <laughs> you know, the, you had to carry that TV up the stairs, I imagine, right? Was that it, there was no elevator? You had to actually carry it up the oh, stairs. Yeah. Zero yeah. elevator, definitely oh, zero. no elevator. Zero, zero, yeah. Risk no, of injury too. You know, I don't know if I would have helped Brooks. Yes. I probably slipped my back out. I would have made a little excuse, or I would, you know, would have said, ah. Hey, well, maybe if I maybe if I did that, I could have collected a couple more days of pre per diem because I'd have been hurt, but that would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like that. No, Brooksy, any before we move on, any kind of comment that we didn't really, Jamie and I didn't really give you a chance to respond to that. No, that's you know what, it's a true story, so I can't really say. And uh, to defend myself, <laughs> I've learned from my mistakes. I will never not have a beer for you. There you okay, because well, I'm appreciate thinking it, well. of moving soon. I'm thinking of moving <laughs> soon here. I'm gonna be giving you a call. <laughs> you know what? Hey, until I go back to work right now, the days are pretty long, so you can call me anytime, Brooksy. Oh, so look at that. See, yeah. now he's in the Sioux, too, Brooksy, right? So you could, you can take him out for that dinner that you owe him, or maybe Jem could take him out for a dinner just to, you know, jump in and help yeah. out, you know, pay old payment, Brooksy. But now, one thing, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're going to go various avenues with this interview, which we love doing all the time. But I'm going to go to this, like, going from the start, right? We're going to go to the now and backtracking your playing days and all the fun stuff. But I want to jump right into the now, currently. And Sault Ste. Marie. You're an active assistant coach uh, with a uh, with a staff that features John Dean, Jordan Smith, whom we've had as a guest on the show, is actually a friend of mine, and Brooksy's as well, which he's an absolute beautician, may I add as well. He's also an absolute machine when he plays men's league still. And goaltending coach Dan Stewart, I want us to I want you to jump into and tell us how it all got started for you to get into coaching, how you ended up in the city on the heart of the Great Lakes. So it's actually a fairly easy story. So after my last year in Germany, not to jump too far ahead, um, uh, I finished in Germany and then I, I, I tried, I knew I always wanted to get into coaching. So the the same, the, the, the most common word I kept hearing was just, you need that experience. You need that experience. So I said, okay, so I've been reaching out to a, a bunch of contacts. So to get that experience, I ended up doing a player coach thing in the East coast league. And then throughout that year, I was able to reach out and, and create new contacts, reach out to old teammates and and old players and old coaches and, and just gather up a bunch of advice and, and different things. So after that season, I ended up, uh, oddly enough, the Sioux was playing Hamilton in the OHL finals. Oh, so I said, you know what? Uh, that exact year, I think it was game one and game two uh, in Hamilton. So then there, therefore, I, uh, I reached out to my old teammate, Kyle Raftis, who is obviously the GM here in the, in the Sioux. And I said, hey, if you have time to, I, I shot him a text or maybe even a phone call. Just if you have time, if you want to chat after the game quick, I hadn't seen him in many, many years. Um, and you know what? He was fantastic. He's like, yep, we'll meet. Even though that they, the Sioux had lost that game, he was still able to come down afterwards, meet me. Uh, we chatted for 10, 15 minutes. And that's where the whole kind of conversation began um, for me there. And then fast forward a little bit, obviously all three coaches from that ter- tremendous team in year, they obviously moved on to pro. And then, therefore, uh, three new coaches had to be hired here in the Sioux. So my conversations with Kyle kept ongoing throughout the summer, throughout the NHL draft, different things like that. And then uh, went through the interview process once again with Kyle and then with new head coach John Dean. And like they say, uh, from there, the rest is history. See, that's a great story, honestly. And it's great that you're in Sault Ste. Marie. Brooksy. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about your as a player coach, you know. Because uh, I was uh, a player coach in Europe, and I really sometimes found it uh, hard doing both, you know, um, you know, being in the room with the guys and then kind of separating yourself because, you know, you are a coach at the same time. Did you have that same little bit of, uh, you know, struggle with it? Um, uh, yes and no. I, I will say it. I'm sure. Uh... I don't, I'm going to be very careful how I say there's a lot of things that happened there that year. And actually Brooks, I know I played in quad cities where I believe that was one of your first stops. Yeah. Yeah. It was was a great city uh, at the time originally. Yeah. You know what? The city is great. It's a great city. The, the, the amenities, the arena was beautiful. I'm not sure if you play the new one, but um, my time there was different. We had uh, a first time ever head coach 
Um, and the reason, Brooks, I'm not sure if you knew this, but the reason I chose to go to Quad Cities and do the player coach um, was because of Bob McNamara. You remember yep. Bob, GM of Grand Rapids? Yep. He, yep. he was he was president and GM of Quad City Mallards, the team I went to. So he's the one who kind of fished me out and thought this would be a really good fit. And, and it was. Like I said, it, it was my purpose of doing that was the more the coaching side than the playing side. You know, I was winding down my career. Um, I, w- I tried to get into coaching the summer previous, but it's like, if I want to get in and have this coaching experience, I would have to also play. So I was like, okay. So I got back to training that summer and, and I know it's long winded. Sorry, Brooksy, about your question, but the only thing I can truly say that I actually did as a player was I did take part in the rookie party. <laughs> and, but be, no, no, I know it's it's funny, and and but it, that's the only true thing outside of the rink that I actually took part of. Um, I lived yeah. in a separate complex, um, you know, far away from the guys. They had their space. Um, when it came to the room, I was kind of more the coaching side than the teammate side. And I will say it is hard because my wife and kids stayed back in Niagara that year, so I was there by myself. So it was challenging. I had to find ways and different ideas and ways to to keep occupied and keep busy and. And thankfully, we the other assistant coach, um, he was also roughly my age, so we got along very well, and we hung out quite a bit. So that 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 definitely helped. But um, but yeah, it was definitely challenging, and and I know the guys also respected that. So it was that was nice. See, yeah, want, that's good. See, what I wanted to jump in there for a sec, Brooksy, before you know, we continue with that is, uh, and I don't like bringing up this type of example because it doesn't really completely make sense to it. But you obviously had that experience being both a player and a coach, right? And I remember when I played and I stopped playing, it was junior A level in the NOJHL. It wasn't OHL, wasn't professional in Europe or anything. But after I stopped playing, I got offered an assistant coaching position with the Blind River Beavers to do that. And when I ended up taking that job to coach, that I was coaching against or coaching with the Blinder Beavers that featured players that I played with at least more than half the team returned back. And one year you're one of the guys. And then when you transition to a coach, as soon as you get that coaching title, that, that, that is it. You're, you're at a different level in the room. Doesn't even matter if you're a player coach or a coach coach or assistant coach, head coach, whatever it may be. As soon as you have a coaching title, beside your name you're in a different spread in that locker room okay you're not gonna it's you're not quote unquote one of the guys as much anymore you're you can be a player's type coach you can have a close relationship with your players but as soon as you have that side of you in it's certainly hard to turn off no matter what level you are from going from playing to coaching or doing both so to be able to handle you doing both and as a player and a coach, it was hard for myself just to do a coaching team that I knew. So I can just imagine how the difficulty would have been to do both sides, but it's good that you had somebody that you're relatively close with in age and they had a strong relationship with Brooksy. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like my big struggle was, but I, first of all, before I go there, you just love getting your career in there. I love it. Every time you find a way to get your career in that, you just find a way every time it just kills me. But, uh, but anyways, like my struggle was like, this is going to blow your mind here. Jamie is, uh, my first year as player assistant coach, I was chosen as captain as well. So just imagine because they all the I was the oldest guy. I had, had come off a really good year, and every and the guys in the room wanted me to be captain. And uh, it was just such a it was such a hard thing to do is to do both that way. And yeah, no, I would agree. Was, it was yeah. Sorry. You know, I was just put in that position, and I was just like, you know, now like how do I navigate the two? And I, because I was captain, ended up being more on the player side than the coaching side. And I think that was not what I wanted, but that's just the way it ended up being. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because that is an exact conversation that we had um, with myself, the head coach and the GM was we want to make you captain. I was captain for Bob McNamara in Grand Rapids. So that's what he wanted. And at the end of the day, he kind of left it up to me. And I said, you know what, along with the head coach at the time as well, I said, you know what, give it to the, co- the guy who was captain last year because at the end of the day, I'm not going to change. And But it, but you're right because you I do have to go on the ice and you're going to war with these guys. Like I know the East Coast League from what we probably remember, Brooksy, was that's where you go to, to retire, right? And now I tell you what, I don't know if you guys have seen a game recently, but it is legit elite hockey. And you can only play three lines. So as a 33-year-old at the time, 
wanting to coach more, but hey, you're playing 82 games a year, three lines, three and threes every weekend. I mean, you're going to war with these kids. So at the end of the day, like it is a fine line, but um, I, I enjoyed both roles, to be completely honest. That's those are all great answers, a great experience. And Brooksy, you know, you, you definitely threw your career, and then I like how you said you were a captain after. You know, that's you're in the coaching mm-hmm. staff, you're the captain, you're a player, you just did everything when you were over I there. I did. I found a way. I yeah. found a way to do it all. <laughs> you know, and one thing that I want to say about the current year is is obviously coming up this year is basically it's been what year because of COVID-19 obviously going around. But uh, with being in the role for the past couple of years, obviously this season that just passed and the pandemic interrupted and canceled the year. Now this season, uh, the, the release from the media is expected to start February the 4th is to the date that I have been told. Uh, 40 games instead of 68, eight teams for the playoffs opposed to standard 16. Now, obviously the American teams are a concern with how that is going to for sure work. I'm not too sure if there's more confirmation with that other than what I already know but and also the body contact question so my question is two parts firstly as an organization how have you been prepping up to puck drop and also secondly I must ask not sure if you want to get into it or not but what is your view if body contact should be included or not okay so I guess I'll answer the first question um our prep right from I guess was pretty much we shut down right around March break of, of us in 19 so as soon as we shut down at, at that point all the kids went home coaches went home obviously myself and smitty stayed in the sioux john dean went back to toronto and after about a week we said you know what, guys we don't know if we're going to come back this year right we were just told the two-week break so throughout that time we started prepping already for teams that obviously we were in a playoff push at that point to try to make playoffs um who we might face you know what does that look like playoffs and then as it went on, um, so we got most of our video and everything done, I bet you, throughout April and May. We were ready. And then once it officially got canceled, then we went to, okay, we changed up a couple things system-wise. Uh, we're ready to come back in September, not knowing, obviously, that that one happened. So we've been prepping now. So to be completely honest, for the past month to two, it's been very quiet because we, we've done all that work throughout the whole summer. Whether it's through, through obviously all through Zoom calls, we've had a couple different coaches come on to walk us through different things system wise. Um, you know, we've as a staff here, we've done a lot of prep, and that's a staff that's goalie coach, obviously GM, right, right through, right down. Uh, we've done a lot of prep, and I think we we feel very, very confident here uh, for this February fourth start. See that definitely makes sense. Like you guys have to do work either way. That there's not currently anything active. You still have to prep for yep. it. Exactly. We and we try to keep these kids busy. Like as far as we, we try to get these kids non-hockey related topics. We have a, a every Monday Zoom call that we do with our players. All the kids are on it. Our newly drafted kids, you know, our first rounder Bryce uh, McConnell Barker. Um, so the, the kids are on it. We try to entertain them with you know a guest guest speaker. Um, you know, with our uh, actually this past Monday, yesterday actually we had a rock paper scissor competition. And I was kind of skeptical. I'm like, what does that look like over, you know, over Zoom with, you know, 30 kids on there? But it was actually, uh, I think the kids had a great time. And uh, the winner took home, I think, a $20 gift card uh, for Tim Horton. So obviously these kids are super excited about that. So, um, but it was actually good. But anything to keep your team organized and and ready to go and and try to light that fire, even though we're February 4th start and there's a lot of questions out there. But um, that's what we're planning on as a staff here. Now, now, do you think, uh, sorry, Dave, didn't mean to cut you off, but I just want to say it must be a huge advantage for the the Hounds, you know, having so many players returning. You know, you guys are going to go into the season having seen a lot of these guys and knowing what they can do. You know, the time is everything's been crunched in, but having all these guys return must be just a good feeling for you guys going into this uh, shortened season. Um, I, I, I think it's a huge advantage. Now, we haven't taken it lightly. We've done, uh, I think as a staff, I'm not trying to pump our own tires, but we have done a lot of work and, and tackled a lot of different ideas. But but you, Brooks, you're 100% bang on. Uh, I know I do the power play in the Sioux, and I have all 10 of my power play guys back. So when we come into camp, we can get rolling with a couple new philosophies, a couple new ideas, but our, our main philosophy, everything stays the same for these guys. So then we can hit the ice running and and we go from there. So that that is a huge advantage. Yeah, definitely. Now the body contact side of things was the other part. That what what is your? Do, I'm not sure if you want to even comment on it or not. But do you think it should be included or not? Or is that you're gonna leave that topic alone? <laughs> you know what? I, yeah, I I definitely don't want to get myself in trouble. Uh, I just <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone. I, I yeah. think. 
any hockey person, I think all has the same answer. So I, I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, but I, but I'll and I'll say the answer. I'll say what I think. You know, just there to, we go. to save you to have to. But you know, I find if you take that out, uh, you know, you're gonna have battles no matter what. So I find that you know, no matter what, it's not gonna change a whole lot because you're gonna be battling for the puck. You know, you might not be taking a body check or hitting, but battling's gonna still be there. You know, that's that's just how I feel about it. It's gonna happen anyways, but just not. You know what I mean? The contact's gonna be there. You know what? What's taking that out? Doing? I just don't understand the whole concept of it. Truly, you know. No, that, that that's a fair point. Once you're inside of a game, and you you're in that momentum of it, right? It, it's 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 just natural nature of the game, right? That's yeah. the that's the biggest thing, right? And I know this is coming from some some like maybe a crew of three here who have played in an era that is more physical, especially with you guys playing at the very highest level that, you know, you, <laughs> you, you when you're in the corner, like Brooks, you just said, you're taking a hit. You have to make, you have to take a hit to make a play, make a hit. It's all part of the game. But again, it's a topic that is obviously sensitive to say and get into, especially when it comes to the junior levels. I know there's other leagues that are currently going that are trialing a lot of different things which could be a good guinea pig for the ontario hockey league if you will uh but it's certainly going to be difficult to take out brooksy yeah yeah no definitely and uh, and i understand that it's just you know like i said we have that old school mentality of uh, of it all and uh i just uh you know i'm interesting to see i get some of the points of why but at the same time i just uh i just think that it uh it's going to you know, make it a lot harder when things get going from the guys, you know, not hitting all year and then moving on up to pro level where I think no matter what, there's going to be hitting. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the hard part for these older guys moving on like that. Now, now we're winding now to when you were lacing up the skates. Okay. And we'll do a little kind of go down memory lane in a lot of different ways here, but fresh out of your time with the Welland Cougar, Cougar, uh, Cougars, sorry. <laughs> I almost yeah. said Cruger. Like it's like, you can make Freddy Cougar over here, but no, Welland Cougars, you are in the Peterborough organization, right? And little did you know at the time when you probably started, or maybe that you did, but you spent your entire OHL career in Peterborough. Now I want you to jump into that experience. I know we're going to jump into a lot about it. Okay. You played a lot of games in Peterborough. You were a leader in that organization. There was success in particular with your overage year, obviously just that overall experience being there. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's, that's all. That could be a very long answer, but overall experience <laughs> right? I'll go right from the start. Um, even throughout the OHL draft, the year I got drafted in 2001, it was the first year that they went to online drafting. So there was no, you didn't go to the OHL draft. Right. So in, in that time, I was actually on the ice uh, trying out for under 17 when I got drafted. So I remember uh, when I came off the ice, uh, some uh, I forget who someone came up to me, and said, oh, congratulations. You're going to my my alma mater team. And, and that's great. And it's a Barry Colts. Well, he thought I was someone else. So I was all excited. <laughs> I, I think at that point it was uh, Barry was eighth overall and all this. And I'm, oh, my God, I can't believe it. everything's so super exciting. He thought I was BJ Crombie. So I was like, oh, okay, there you go. So I'm like, oh, now my dreams are shattered. I didn't get drafted. And, you know, I knew I was getting drafted. I just didn't know where and when. Uh, but then literally uh, within five, not even five minutes, um, Jeff Tui came walking in. Obviously GM of, of Peterborough Pete's. He's like, we drafted you ninth overall. Uh, congratulations. So he was there obviously scouting. So, but, uh, but that's right from the start. That was it. And then from there, like I said, it's, it was a roller coaster of a ride, I will say. Uh, spending five years in the same city, I was lucky enough to have the same billets actually for my five years as well. Ken and Lynn Bredman, uh, they took me in. They were fantastic people. They have a, a a daughter named Jamie as well, and and a younger son named Ian. So, super lucky that way to spend five years. And now they've become lifelong friends, and I consider them like family as well. But uh, but yeah, you can kind of dive into where you want to go next because, like I said, five years it, it's it's a long time. Well, we'll, yeah, well, we'll just go in. We'll go right into it. You know, playing there, you played with some really good, uh, you know, hockey players. And, you know, one in particular was Eric Stahl. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to know a little bit about Eric because I've heard some rumors. I've played against him, but never really got to know him. That, you know, that they're, the Stalls are kind of keep to themselves, quiet guys. Is, uh, is this how it is with those guys? Or uh, was he one of the quiet ones? Or was this just a, a rumor going around? So that's a 
Brooks, I'm so happy you asked this question because I <laughs> often call myself the odd stall stepchild. I'm not sure if I'm saying that <laughs> right. Because <laughs> if you if you look at the years of when there was a stall on the Peterborough Peets, the only year that we did not make playoffs was the year that there was none. Because so I played two years with Eric, and then I played two years with Jordan. And that middle year, there was no stall brother on the team. Hence, we didn't make playoffs. But uh, but to, to answer your question there, Brooksy, Eric, bang on, uh, super, super quiet. Obviously, I was a rookie coming in, so I was feeling everyone out. And, and Eric was like the next biggest thing, obviously, in his second year. Um, we actually, uh, he's a late birth date, so our draft years were actually the same. And that year was the year where I had my, my coming out party, so to speak, my second year. Eric was lighting the league on fire, obviously touted as a top-end pick in the NHL draft. So, And we actually ended up being linemates. He was my centerman. I was on, obviously, the right wing. We had a tremendous year. Obviously, he helped me out big time with the numbers I had that year and, and able to get drafted. But, um, but yeah, super quiet, keeps himself. And probably the only guy that actually legitimately – I know a lot of people say it, but the only person I've probably seen that legitimately eats McDonald's as his pregame meal. <laughs> Back then, so he did that every teams. every game before every game he did that McDonald's. From, from what I remember with Eric, it, he was very superstitious, right? And so if he ate a Big Mac for on the way to the rink that day, the very next game, and he scored the very next game, sure enough, he's going to McDonald's, or maybe the maybe it was mac and cheese, mac and cheese at the house. Boom, the next day he's eating mac and cheese, whatever it might be. Very superstitious. <laughs> that's and a lot of the guys are like that right and and pregame mcdonald's i, I love that you know it, like, that it would better than to get a big mac or if you want to get some chicken nuggies and throw in a couple mcdoubles in there before the game yeah. there's nothing exactly. better than i'd be barfing all over the ice absolutely but no it, it didn't didn't even affect him go on he could he could have had the be, the best pregame meal pasta sushi salmon no he had mcdonald's and you wouldn't even know on the ice he was just he, it was unbelievable I was arena hot dog guy. I love the arena hot dog. So good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so after being drafted in 2003, you had a couple more years left in the OHL to develop and prepare yourself for a professional career. But, uh, you know, firstly, you know, you get drafted to Calgary. You know, was this the team that you knew you were going to go to? Or, you know, was there other teams that were kind of in the play to kind of get you to be a part of their organization? Um, to, I, I actually can't answer that. I, I know the only thing was, um, I chose that year. I chose not to go to the draft. I wasn't sure. Obviously back then it was Friday was rounds or Friday or Saturday was rounds one through three. And if you didn't know that you were going to get drafted hundred percent that day, they, they advised my agent advised not to go because you're going to want to sit there and it's a long seven, eight hours without your name getting called. Um, so I didn't know that. Um, I did have one of those interviews at the Combine with Calgary. I knew they were extremely interested. Obviously, back then, the way they played was very suitable to myself. Um, so I, I, But I did not have an idea. I actually, when my name got called on stage, I was actually uh, back in the Toronto area golfing. Just to keep my mind off things, I got drafted, obviously, on that Sunday. Uh, so I was golfing, but, uh, but no, I had no idea it was going to be Calgary Flames. Yeah, it's a good team. You go to a Canadian team overall, they get drafted to, which is obviously awesome. And honestly, I've heard the golf story a couple times, actually, with some players. And it seems like that is the place to go when you're going to have your name being called. It seems like if you want to go to the NHL, if you want to get drafted and it's in your draft year, just go shoot nine or 18 holes. Well, <laughs> well maybe. I mean, you're, you're most likely with friends and family golfing and it kills six hours and you're... <laughs> You, you know, your, your mind's off of it, and it's, uh, it is it is a great way, and it's a great way to distract yourself. I like that. Now, OHL Championship, 2005-2006 season, you win the OHL Championship with a steep roster yourself. Jordan Stahl, so you had another stall you play with, and I think I'll jump into this a little bit, little bit later on. I think you played with all the stalls, if I remember correctly, if I'm ever seeing correctly. But anyways, Steve Downey, and it's in your overage year, no less. Must have been a thrill. You spend all that time with the organization. You walk out an OHL champion, like an OHL champion, right? Explain that feeling. Is it, and is it almost more sweet when you win it after a good amount of time with an organization and in your overage year? I feel like you appreciate it more. Um. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because um, who a person, my GM there for five years with Jeff Tui, who I have the utmost respect for, um, he was actually very honest with me um, going into my last year because I went to Montreal Canadiens training camp. 
Um, Hamilton Bulldogs wanted to sign me to an American League East Coast League deal. And I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So obviously I, I chose to come back to Peterborough. But in that time of deciding, Jeff Tui told, uh, told me a story after my third year, he was going to trade me to the Owen Sound Attack to make their big playoff push that year. And he just going through all this thing and how much he believes in me and this team and, and what he's built. So uh, Jeff has a lot to do with me coming back and thankfully joining that year as captain and, and doing what we did uh, in the OHL, at least anyway, he's got a, a lot of respect for him. So uh, to answer your question, I think it does make it that much more worth it considering what the team, the city, the organization meant to me and to be able to bring a, an OHL championship back to Peterborough. Now, funny question. When you guys won, and obviously this even seems foreign to say because, you know, that like people on the ice and people passing around and hugging each other, it just seems like it's foreign kind of time, long time ago. But when you had and won that tra- the championship, did you guys pass it around? Was it like a group thing? And if it was passed around, do you remember who gave you the trophy? Or were you like, or who, or you gave the trophy to, sorry, first? Uh, yes, I do. Obviously, we were lucky enough. We won it at home. So it was a great celebration. And uh, I was handed the trophy from Dave Branch. And then yeah. from there, I passed it to um, a, a guy by the name of Trevor Hendricks. He was the same draft year as myself, and but he was a second rounder. So we grew up, we went through everything together for full five years. Wow. So obviously for him, that was, and he, yeah, he was back then. He was definitely my best friend on the team as well as a lot of other guys. But, uh, but yeah, clear as day, I can remember passing it off to him. Well, that's a good story. I said, obviously you got the trophy. So I had to, I had to pass it on to somebody else. So glad I caught myself there before I continued. Brooksy. Yeah, no. So now I just want to go on, you know, you finish your OHL and now it's time, you know, to head into the pros. Uh, you start in the ECHL and then eventually you get it to Grand Rapids pretty much where this, you know, the career as the pro to start to make it to the NHL really comes forward for you. Um, you know, you had an amazing teammates all over those years and uh, Thomas Tatar was one of them. Uh, friend and former guest of the show, Evan McGrath, who, uh, you know, obviously you played with. Uh, Abel Cater, a friend and former guest of the show, Darren McCarty, you know, who you gave your number up for. You know, you, there was so much talent in Grand Rapids, a great organization, you know, being with the Red Wings. You know, I wanted you to tell me about your time there and uh, and some good memories that you have besides moving me in. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a start. Yeah. So <laughs> the moving in kind of made everything else like just it was it was downhill from there. You know, <laughs> what can it's only better from here. But but no, you know what? Right from uh, right from that time, I, I think it really helped going through training camp in Grand Rapids. Right. Uh, Greg Ireland was our coach back then. Um, you know, Chris fast forward to after Christmas. My time in Grand Rapids was was so special. We actually uh, owned a house there uh, for the past 12 years, actually just sold it uh, this past year. So that's how much we always had that connection with Grand Rapids. Um, still, still try and visit there as much as I could. One of my very, one of my best friends actually still, uh, Brad Thompson, our equipment manager, we call him Dog. He's, uh, you know, just he, he, I actually, he came to my wedding. That's how close we are. I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people can say that they invited their equipment manager to a wedding of maximum 50 people because we got married in Vegas. That's how much, that's how much we had a, a great friendship. I was there obviously for for the better half of six years. So. But it was just, it was fantastic. The city, the fans, the organization, the way they treat you, um, you know, I just, uh, and, and the people that we played, like Brooksy said, I think Brooksy, you're forgetting that even Chris Chelios played yeah. with him for, he got sent down on conditioning yeah. stint. Uh, uh, Aaron Downey, who trained me after we played together in Grand Rapids, he, uh, I lived kind of close to him. He trained me and this guy's a beast. Like just go on YouTube and, and watch some of his videos. It's actually ins- insane. So him, Darren McCarty, Brad May play with Brad May for a full year. So the list keeps going on and then you get into all the young studs. But for me, that was one of the best things is just looking back at some of those rosters that, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of. See now guests know uh, Darren McCarty and obviously these names, but Darren McCarty, when we had him on and everyone can check out a previous upload that we've had with uh, Darren McCarty, (laughs) was he as, let's say free spirited as we had, when we had him on our show, he was, uh, he's a big advocate for uh, marijuana usage. That's one thing that he's very big with obviously being in Michigan. The interview that we had was, was very fun and getting to know who he was after being a little kid, watching him score against the Philadelphia flyers and, and just admiring his game for being that, 
uh, with that the grind line and just the type of energy guy he was, you know, despite how much I disliked the Red Wings because all they did was win, almost like the New New England Patriots in football before, right? Like it, it's Darren McCarty. Was he that type of guy in the locker room? Was just loud? Was he just a great fun guy to be around? It seems like it's a guy you want to sit beside in the locker room. Um, hundred percent, yeah. So, um, I, I will say it's, it's not you know none of my stories to tell, but obviously back then I think. You know, he, it was all public, but he was going through a tough time. Yeah. Right? So, so I, I won't get into anything like that. So to answer your question, he was a little quiet, right? Oh, wow. I know he was working his way back to get in shape. So he spent a lot of time at the arena on the bike before, after practice. It was almost like he was just thankful for everything he's got. And he worked out, I want to say skated with us for probably about two weeks prior to his first game. And then, of course, his first game in Grand Rapids on a Friday night, he gets a hat trick. And he fights probably one of the toughest guys in the league. I think we're playing Hamilton Bulldogs. I forget the guy's name, but just a monster play D. But that was his his, his, his back-to-hockey kind of game where and he, the city was going bananas. And and I, that's just the type of guy he was And back then. And I'll share this story. He obviously, like I said, I gave my number. Typically, there's you know a little thank you gift, uh, cash or whatever. Back then, he, he didn't have you know the finances to do anything. And I said, man, I, you are my childhood hero. The mm-hmm. player I watch all the time when you were, like you said earlier, winning all these games and Stanley Cups. I said, don't worry about it. Well, he's like, oh, I'll get you some. I'll get you some. Okay, well, that year he goes to Black Ace for Detroit, wins the Stanley Cup that year. Right? Yeah. Everything. So I'm like, oh, okay, what, what happens? About a month later, I get an Xbox 360, and we were big into the Call, Call of Duty games back then. <laughs> he sent me all that stuff as a thank you and something just to show the guy he is. He did not forget. And it meant the world to me to have a guy like that reach back out, you know, even though it was months later. And that's just the type of person he is. Oh, see, that's a I love that story. And having him on, like, obviously he did. He shared all those experiences and just being able to learn what he was. I admire for what he was able to do for himself afterwards and be able to grind back that there's nothing harder than when you for someone just to be down as far as he was and get back up and succeed what he did is just amazing and you'd be able to have that story about him that that's really that's amazing but but you you have that you have that time with in grand rapids but even after grand rapids you end up in providence right which leads to your call up to the bruins which i can tell you as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, taking my host hat off here for a second, uh, is my, you know, not, I don't, not a big Boston Bruin fan. I'm sure a lot of people can wonder and know why because of 2013 blowing a 4-1 lead and not beating them in the playoffs. But you get the call. What's going through your head? Like, like, like some stories that we hear, people are out shopping and then they go home and they have a message from their mother that they got a call up or from, or they're trying to get a hold of them. Was it something that was unexpected or did you know that you're going to call up, especially because your first game was against the trial Maple Leafs? So this must've been sweet. Exactly. Uh, completely unexpected. Um, that year with the year I got called up was the year of the lockout. So 2012. And I obviously started in the American league when Christmas break happened and then and when the NHL came back, I was part of the three or four guys that went to training camp with the Bruins. So I was like, okay, well, you know, at least they see something in me and, and keep going, keep working. But uh, to answer your question, uh, Bruce Cassidy was coaching us in Providence that year. And we just finished a game in Bridgeport. We're on our way back to Providence. So Bruce, he, I, from what I remember from, with Bruce, he is known to have the largest bladder ever. He never has to take a piss on the bus. Never. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, being the being the the awesome vet I was, I was sitting near the back of the bus, and here comes Bruce, right, walking to the back of the bus, and, and pro- it was only about a two hour drive, so this is very unlikely for Bruce. So he's coming back, and he sits down. We're playing cards. Uh, he sits down. And he's like, "Hey, Tards, uh, what? Uh, do, you, do you have your passport? Is it at home?" I said, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, well, get your passport, pack a bag. As soon as we get to Providence, you're you're going to meet the Bruins tomorrow. You're getting called up." And I said. And I was in shock. All the guys were obviously, like I said earlier, playing cards. Everyone's straight away exciting. He's like, oh, by the way, you're playing Saturday night, hockey night in Canada in Toronto for your first game. So right there, there. now I start to sweat. Now I'm like, oh, my God. I wasn't sweating because I was nervous. I was sweating because the amount of money I'd have to pay for tickets for all family members. <laughs> That's what I was really sweating about. But, but no, it was a, a tremendous experience. So, of course, I get home that day. I, I 40 minutes from Providence to Boston. Drove down the morning, team practice. And later that afternoon, we obviously uh, uh, flew to Toronto. Okay, that's the year that you guys 
that the Boston Bruins, sorry, beat Toronto in the playoffs. I believe that was the year that 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 happened. Actually, if I remember correctly. I believe that is correct. Yes. Oh yeah. He knows. He knows. He never forgets. I do know. Yeah. I was just going to add a a quick little story there. People always ask me, what was your first shift like in in the NHL and everything else? I said, well, I had a really tough first period because at that time I was playing with this guy, Lane McDermott, who was a big, mean, tough guy, played a little bit with the Bruins. And my sentiment was Gregory Campbell. So first shift, Lane McDermott goes out and fights. I think it was Jamie Fraser on D. Okay. So here come, no, our fourth line goes off. The very next shift I get out there, Gregory Campbell fights someone. So I'm like, is this the only way I'm going to be playing the game is if I go out the next shift and fight? Thankfully, I didn't, but that was my start. My first period, I think I logged about 45 seconds. It was pretty much bringing <laughs> gloves back and forth to the belly box, but that was my first first period. <laughs> Gregory Campbell was a workhorse, too. Brooksy. He sure was. Yeah, no, that, uh, you know, I mean, that's got to be such a great feeling, you know, being in your hometown, pretty much playing for free because you got to pay for all your family to be there. But, uh, you know, what a great opportunity for you to do that. I'm I'm very happy you were able to do that. And, uh, you know, I just uh, it's a dream uh, that must have been a dream for your family too, your parents and uh, everybody. So, uh, you know, such a great thing for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. See, the one thing that I wanted to say quickly, even before all that, was do you do you remember why you got – I know you said that it was unexpected, but do you remember why you got called up? Because I, I read about this before we did the interview uh, here with us doing our recording. Do you, were, do you remember why you were called up first before I say what the point is? Okay. Um, I do remember they had a couple injuries. The most uh, – uh, Martian was hurt. So yep. clearly there was an opening for one, if not two right wingers. So uh, I don't have maybe the, rich, rich Peverly as well. Yeah. So they had a couple injuries, but the quote that I saw and I, I saw it earlier today, I've been trying to go back and forth to it through different and multiple media, some, some outlet names that I can say and some that I can. So just keep it generic. More of the research that I found was that you were actually called up to replace Brad Marchant. That is why you got called up. That's they mentioned other injuries, but apparently that was the reason why you got called up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. why not? Yeah, that, and I think that's just so cool to go in and be replaced Brad Marchant, right? Like I thought that was a good little, uh, good little tale. But you know, but, you. But I didn't play in his line. No, I guess I, not. I, I should have been playing with Patrice. But yeah, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, I just kidding. But no, I was. Uh, but no, but I remember. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, we were. I did the old uh, do warm-ups, and we'll see how he is. And obviously, Brad Marchand was the one that was healthy enough to come back. And I still remember he came to my stall after warm-ups. He's like, because we were in Buffalo, which is obviously pretty much a home game for us being in, from Niagara. And he's like, sorry, kid. Like, I know this is pretty much your hometown again, but I'm playing. So I'm like, hey, no problem, but I'll go up and enjoy <laughs> some popcorn. Uh, but I want to I want to backtrack you here a little bit uh, you know right before the game you know does the coach bring you into the office and kind of tell you what he's expecting of you for your first game because it is nerve-wracking no matter what you know you're in the NHL you're playing in Maple Leaf against the Maple Leafs you know there must have been uh, you know something said to you to kind of calm you down and kind of give you the guidelines of what they're expecting you to bring to the game. Um, I don't think so. It, it, on, to be completely honest, I, obviously, Claude Julien was a coach there. Um, you know, it, throughout practice, he talked to me after my first practice, after pregame skate in Toronto. And he's like, kid, you're here for a reason. Go out and just do your thing. Play your game. I know there's going to be a lot of pressure and excitement, nerves, everything, but go out and play your game. And, and, and I did that. And you know what? I, I don't know. I, I have to look. I, maybe five, six minutes. But I vaguely remember it was tied late in the game. And the assistant coach by the name of Jeff Ward came down to the forward end about five minutes left in the third period. And he said, listen, you're probably not going to play the rest of the game. Obviously, it's 0-0. But if Toronto scores, you're taking the goalie when we pull the goalie. And I said, holy, oh, sure. He's like, "Where where do you make your hay? I said, in front of the net. He's like, exactly. So when we pull our goalie, if they score, you know you are taking the goalie. So I said, thankfully we did because we scored. I got the minute in, and I was like, oh, thank God. But uh, but that was just a quick little story from from the coach's perspective, from Claude and and Jeff Ward, just having that confidence. My first game that I'm going out for a six on five, if need be. Unbelievable, <laughs> and for you because maybe because of that momentum that you're playing in your hometown. 
Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Like, I, I will say, if anything, I, I couldn't skate worth a lick. That that I can tell you. But what I could do is anything in tight. I was known for a net front guy. That's where I was able to, you know, to make a career um, at, at doing stuff like that, going to the dirty. There's all the terms you want to use. But but if one thing, like I said, that was uh, one area where everything that was in five feet of that net, uh, more, more times than not, it, it was going in. Yeah, drive that net. Now, one of the teammates I wanted to bring up with you before uh, Brooksy transitions us is uh, that uh, Craig Cunningham. Okay, now, a random name to really just bring up. We were talking about the Bruins, but I know that in your connection with the Bruins, you, I think it was in Providence is where you had time with Craig. Uh, like, he was a previous guest on the show. He's now with 44 Vision Hockey, which is a sponsor of the Game Sports Show, and he had his hockey career tragically end. Is this somebody that you kept keep in touch with at all or do you remember his incident because when i had the opportunity to be able to talk to craig the stories that he had when he played what was what he went through afterwards and what he's been going through even after it like when you did you get the news because you're all your former teammates you all have a code you guys are all still friends do you remember hearing the news and when that happened to him on the ice and i could just i could just imagine you were probably feeling for a former teammate yeah, no, exactly. Um, when when that that incident happened, um, uh, I was playing in Germany, and it just so happened that uh, one of my teammates in Germany, uh, last name uh, uh, Garrett Festerling, was his name. He actually was from BC, and he knew the Cunningham family very well. They grew up together, everything else. So when the news came out, he's actually the one who told us all, and he had uh, connections. And and whether it was his mom was really good friends with her mom, however that connection was. So he he did keep us updated on everything that was going on with Craig. Um, and of course, I'm sure like everyone else, they all reached out and reached out to him. But uh, to, to answer one of your questions, I do still keep in contact with him, especially when I was tr- starting to go through the transition because he was went through everything himself. But then now he was also involved with the Coyotes back then with the scouting. So I, I bounced some ideas and questions off of him. Uh, but uh, but tremendous teammate, great person. And like I said, we do keep in contact a little bit. Uh, and we're obviously lucky enough to see each other at the NHL drafts. Uh, when the one in Dallas and the one in Vancouver, we're lucky enough to have a quick drink together. But uh, what a tremendous human being! Definitely, I like that. Now, Brooksy, transitioning to you. Yeah, no, I just uh, you know bringing up uh, being in Germany you know, there with uh, Festerling, who I actually played with in Hamburg, which was a great experience. Uh, great little guy, great player. Uh, you know, being a dual citizen, uh, it worked out pretty good for that kid. And uh, um, but I want to talk about your choice to go to Germany. You know, was that your choice in Europe right away? Or was there some other countries that were kind of in the mix? And, uh, you know, was it always your plan to go to Europe? Because you had such a long career in the AHL and, uh, you know, being a leader and all. It's, it's a big decision to leave the, uh, the AHL at that time. Um, yeah, it was. And I think a lot of guys that were near the end or, or, or were, were definitely like myself, branded as that. You know, sign him to an NHL deal, but uh, deal. Sorry, but he will be our leader in the American League, whether he's an assistant or captain. And and like I said, I, I'm not going to mention the team's name, but I had an offer on the table uh, that year. I decided to go to go over to Germany. Um, and to be completely honest, I was going to Munich um, that year. And then all of a sudden, uh, sure enough, once you know, obviously rumors start flying around Germany that they're getting, a, you know, they're getting an import right winger, whatever. Um, the coach in Mannheim, who, as I previously mentioned, was uh, Jeff Ward, and he was my coach in, in, in Boston, and throughout the lockout, he was in Providence quite a bit. So he called right away. We got talking, and, and, and the rest is history from there, going, going to a guy with Mannheim, which is obviously a great organization, great city, and then knowing the head coach personally from my first experience, uh, it was a no-brainer not to go to Mannheim. See, and obviously when you when you take that jump and go over to uh, like over overseas, you have, there's a lot of different options, right? And we've had numerous guests on the shows where we talk about being on uh, in Germany, being in Russia. Uh, not always the best story was when it comes to Russia, but even in Switzerland, a lot of great stories and just memories that they've had within being within those countries and the experience of hockey over there. Did you have it or find it difficult to be able to adjust to the type of hockey that was in Europe in comparison to to North American hockey? I know people may think that it's not as different, but I, from based on being a fan, watching it, being the media side and looking at it, I do see a little bit of difference in particular, obviously with the ice being different. I think you're, 
if you're a really fast skater in particular, where, you know, Brooks, he can mostly relate for himself is that when you have that room in skating, that, that being in Europe, when you're a speed guy, you're really effective down there. Where in North America, you can be speed, you can have two way. It's, it's a different hockey. So how, how were you able to adjust from the North American style game to the European style game? Well, I, I will, I'll say I, I did have one, if not two offers from, uh, one in Sweden, one in Finland. And I'm with my agent at the time. He obviously helped me go through all these different things. And when the Germany thing came up, he's like, for me, obviously, as I mentioned before, I was not a very good skater. So for me, the German style of game was very, very similar to North American style. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the ice is bigger, but everything else, your forward check, you know, chipping pucks in, going, everything. Right. But when you go to Finland, it was like if you chip a pocket, you're not going to see the ice the rest of the game. Right. <laughs> it was like it was that, you know, we did played a bunch of teams from there and it was so frustrating to play against. And um, for me, so I, I will say it wasn't as hard of a transition for me because my two line mates were North American. Uh, my sentiment was actually Glenn Metropolit, longtime NHL guy. So he used my sentiment for my first two years. Um, so playing with a guy like that, he made the game very easy. But. The, the ice size, a little bit of a transition, but to be completely honest, um, you know, on ice, there was, wasn't many other challenges for myself. Yeah, that's a good answer. Brooksy. Yeah, no, I had, uh, speaking of uh, Glenn Metropolitan, he was my centerman with the Spangler Cup Team Canada there. And, uh, you know, you couldn't have a more talented guy on your line, that's for sure. <laughs> the, some of the stuff I've seen that guy do with the, with the puck, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I think I owe him my contract extension because that first year we came in, we're all on one-year deals, and that first year in Mannheim, we were ju- we just had such a good team. We had this NHL Stanley Cup uh, uh, coach coming in, Jeff Ward, and Glenn Metropolitan, and I was just a lucky right winger that got to play with him. And, you know, I just I did my job. I went to the net and got rewarded for it. So, therefore, came another two years uh, in beautiful Mannheim. And then nice. – yeah, you see, in Metropolitan, like I know there's a couple of friends of mine that know him and just say, he, I always hear the compliment about him that there was a guy who went, who was small, right, who was undrafted and who got cut from this team, got overlooked from this team and all all the stories that, you, that make you feel warm about a player who made it on and had a good professional career playing the National Hockey League and overseas. You hear nothing about positive about him. So like uh, from hearing yourself with Brooksy, Brooksy saying that on yourself, it certainly makes sense for the way that his career was. And I admire individuals too that, you know, come from having to build their way up from the, the lower levels of minor hockey to get to that higher level. It just makes it that much more rewarding for the game and why hockey is truly such the most unique sport on the planet. Brooksy. Yeah, no, it, uh, you know, I, I just want to talk about after that, you're, you know, you decide to retire, you know, was that a tough, you know, decision or was it easy? Cause you knew that you were ready to, you know, being player coach, as you talked about, uh, was this something that you were totally ready for and, uh, had like, cause I know there's a lot of struggle with some guys when they retire, you know, myself included, I, I don't know if I was truly ready when I retired, but, uh, you know, especially even though I was older, but, uh, I really felt like I had a few more years left. You know, was this something that you were able to just say, all right, I'm ready. You had to talk with your family and it was just time. Yeah, no, I, I definitely did all of the above. I talked to my family, went through it. Um, I knew what path I wanted to do post hockey, but obviously it's not as easy to get into as, as you know, as a player, you think, oh, I'm just going to coach after. But uh, for me, honestly, the answer is simple. And, and one of the, like, one of the many reasons why I want to be a coach is, uh, you know, the lessons I've learned as a player. And one of those was I didn't take care of my body properly when I was playing. So near the end of my career, my body was just breaking down. You know, I worked hard in the summer, but in season, stretching, uh, riding the bike and, and all these little things, I just, honestly, I was just lazy. And those are one of the biggest lessons I try to tell these kids. And so for me, that last year player coach, you know, riding the bus for hours on end, three lines, you're playing 30 minutes and I, I, my body just done and I was getting injuries. So it was a pretty telltale sign. It, for me, it was a very, very easy decision. And once again, just uh, just lucky enough to have this uh, golden opportunity kind of being available for me uh, fresh out of that player coach here. It's definitely tough when you got to get to that realization, but at least you're back or 
continuing, sorry, to be a part of the game. And it's just even sweeter that you're doing it inside the Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, original home of Gem and the Game Sports Show, obviously. Now, getting to our wrap-up portion, getting more of the conclusion side of our interview here, Jamie, it's obviously been fantastic to have you on. Brooksy, myself, and the Game Sports Show and Gem overall very happy that you took the time. So getting to our conclusions, kind of the way that I started the interview, as I, as I mentioned, is we have bonus questions that we ask our guests. I always go first because Brooksy is rated to have the better question and is still as such. So I got to go first and save the best for last. So getting to our last couple questions here with me going first, I'm throwing you on the spot. And if you have to take a second to think about it, you're more than welcome to do so. I want to ask you what your most memorable moment with a teammate is on or off the ice. Now, I know you did mention earlier about winning the OHL championship uh, with the teammate that you were there with for a while. So I know that might be one that's on your mind. But if there's maybe another one throughout your entire career that there was one night you guys had out. If there was a, a moment on the ice, on the bench, someone said something funny to you. Anything memorable in terms of that? Moving me in, that's got to be the number one on his mind. Yeah, Yeah, that was my welcome to pro kit. (laughs) Uh, But, oh, that's a very, that's a very tough question. Um, You know what? I I would say obviously one that I spent with Trevor Hendricks there back in Peterborough days. uh, That was probably one of them for me. Uh, Another one, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, is a a childhood, long, long time friend. We played summer hockey together uh, by the name of Kyle Quincy. Um, you know, I was, I lived with him for two years in Grand Rapids and, you know, I was lucky enough to be on the ice during practice in Grand Rapids when he got his first uh, NHL call up. So, you know, something like that, where you grow up playing minor hockey together and, and all these things since you were 10 and sleeping over and doing everything to, to be on the ice and just share that with him. Uh, you know, that was pretty special as well. Um, you know what? Be, yeah, it's a very tough question. Um, I, I'm going to keep the off ice stuff. I'll, I'll keep that to myself, but uh, <laughs> hockey wise on the ice, that's, you know, those two for, for sure are, are, are something that's very special. Well, that's a good answer. Brooke. But I, oh, I, you know what? I will add one more. Sorry. Oh, there you I'll go. I'll add yeah. one more only because we wanted to get in touch with the Sioux stuff. Um, and I showed this clip the odd time to some of our players. So it was my, uh, my fourth year in the league We're game seven. I want to say maybe the second or third round of playoffs. I'm not exactly sure. We're playing St. Mike's, and in overtime, obviously, like I said, game seven, um, I get a pass from the point, and I'm wide open back door, and I tap it in to, to win it for, for Peterborough in game seven. Well, who passes me that puck is our current GM, Kyle Raftus. So I just, I always show that little clip that, you know, that little connection. It's funny how everything works out, but, uh, but that's also now being with Kyle here for the past two years. You know, we, we share that little connection to, uh, you know, going, even though we're going back about uh, 16 years ago. So things like that are, are just pretty special. Priceless memories. Just priceless memory. That's a good answer. You had multiple answers. Uh, more answer to better than one with those questions, for sure. Brooksy. Hey, well, I just want to, my question is, you know, kind of, um, I want to, you know, talk about, because I know that you're from Welland and you had a guy like Matt Ellis, uh, who we both know. Uh, you know, being such a hardworking guy, he was our captain in Grand Rapids your first year. Um, you know, he was a guy that led by hard work and example on and off the ice. And um, my question is, when you, you know, became question uh, captain in the pro level, you know, who was somebody that you looked up to or kind of guided the way you wanted to be uh, a leader on the team? You know, was it a guy like Matt? I know, or did you just take a whole bunch from a few other guys? Um, yeah, no, very good question. Um, obviously, yeah, Matt Ellison, he was actually my captain in Rochester, too. Um, you know, for, fast forward about seven, eight years after the Grand Rapids days. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, going through my time in Peterborough, I had a lot of good captains going back to guys like Dustin Wood, um, even Curtis Foster, my very my rookie year in Peterborough. You know, a lot of great captains. And going through pro, uh, I think I've learned a lot from especially a guy like Matt Ellis. No question about it. Not just because we're both from Welland. Um, just like I, for all those reasons, Brooks, that you just mentioned. And, and a lot of other guys, too, with all the names we mentioned. Getting to see guys like, uh, you know, your Chris Chelios, Darren McCarty, Brad May, Aaron Downey. All these guys just showing and just picking apart different things. And... I'm not going to uh, try to pump my own tires, but I think just naturally I have those leadership qualities. So, but, um, but then I was able to pick out some of those qualities and, and uh, I would forever be thankful to uh, our head coach at the time, Kurt Frazier, uh, who made me captain at, at 
at, at the age of 24. And it was pretty special. That was my first year on an NHL deal because my previous two years in Grand Rapids, I was on American League deals. So for me, it was pretty special. Obviously, they saw something and, and very grateful uh, for that opportunity. Oh, the tales are always great to hear, especially when you look back and think back of everything and it leads to everything today. And obviously you being a part with the Susamory Greyhounds as the assistant coach and you can follow the Greyhounds on social media. And obviously uh, we have broadcasting partners that you can check out on our website that we are connected with in particular uh, through, the, through our AM channels of sorts uh, through to hear the Greyhounds uh, live uh, when they do get puck drop happening, which is expected to be February the 4th. Kind of, kind of a different type season, obviously, but as Jamie mentioned, everyone's been preparing and they've also been able to really knock in and really be able to ace their rock, paper, scissors game too, which is <laughs> good team building too, which is fantastic, right? So Jamie, I want I want to say thank you very much uh, for taking the time to come on the show here tonight. It's been an honor being able to talk to you and I imagine I'll be seeing you around the ranks because of being uh, involved with covering a lot of the Greyhound stuff here with the Game Sports Show and Jim and I'll be bringing Brooke seen more of those so there's more of a recognizable face and if you will and overall for you to just to take the time it's been a pleasure to hear your tales of the ice sir yeah i just want to uh you know thank you for coming on and uh you know i wish you all the best uh you know with the hounds here and uh you know i know that uh coaching is uh being a head coach is where you want to he- end up and uh you know i look forward to seeing that happen here in the future but well, no, I appreciate it, guys, and, and this was a lot of fun, and thank you very much for having me. Definitely. The fantastic stuff, for sure. Now, again, thanks to Jamie, and thanks to the listeners of the Game Sports Show, and, of course, Jim. Make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe on all the platforms brought to you by the Game Sports Show and Jim. That is on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, and, of course, Facebook and Instagram, which is at the Game Sports Show, or also the website, the Game Sports Show. And I would like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.